Have you ever noticed how fascinated we are with royalty? It's not just the fame and wealth of princes and princesses that draw our attention. There are plenty of famous celebrities and rich people in the world. But it seems that there's a connection to something ancient, something hereditary, or maybe even something theological that causes us to pay attention to those who style themselves as royal. Because we're looking for something that may have a reality beyond even what they represent. In the Bible, God describes himself as a king. And we find that that kingship of God is demonstrated in sharp focus in the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. Through his ministry, the kingdom of God becomes inaugurated on and in earth. And hey, we get to be a part of it. Paul said, if we've entered into covenant with Christ, that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. And that isn't power or wealth or fame as this world tries to seek it. But rather, Paul said it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. If you've joined as a citizen of that kingdom, aren't you thankful? And if you haven't yet and you'd like to know how, this message would be a good place to start. Thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. I love the book of Colossians. You guys know that I love it. We spent uh, part of our edify time, our Wednesday, uh, excuse me, our Thursday night midweek study on Colossians during the last year. And one of the reasons that I love Colossians is because it serves to, uh, in a very short letter, show the absolute deity and the kingship of Christ. It elevates Jesus high, and I love that about Colossians. We're going to be reading verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1 today. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. Giving thanks, verse 12, unto the Father who has made us meet. Now, this is a King James word here. Uh, this doesn't mean made you meet, M-E-A-T, or M-E-E-T, um, made you to meet someone. It means qualified or appropriate. So let's substitute that today for our ears so that we can understand more properly. Giving thanks to the Father who's made us qualified or appropriate to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This is picking up on a theme that John has and Paul has and Peter has of light versus darkness. We sang that song today that says there's a kingdom that's advancing at the speed of light. This is taking up this message that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. And Paul says that the Father has made us qualified to partake in this inheritance. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. I want you to notice the past tense of that text. It is an accomplished feat that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. I will acknowledge, because I am flesh the same as you, I have my own hang-ups and I have my own worries and fears. It does not always feel like an accomplished fact that Satan's power is canceled within me. But I will tell you of a truth today, the Word of God states that we have already been delivered 
from the power of darkness if we are in Christ. It is an accomplished fact. And if I could say it so boldly and so plainly today, I will trust God's facts over your feelings. And I will trust God's truth over my trials because we can depend on His Word. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us. This is such a Star Trek kind of scripture. It's almost like a portal has been opened and we've been brought from one place to another. He has translated us into the kingdom of His own dear Son. We could read verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then the next part of Colossians goes into a beautiful hymn talking about the power of Christ and what He has done. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God today. And I want to encourage the church that we have an inheritance in His kingdom. We have a portion in the kingdom of God. If you had a great week and you witnessed to four people and you baked pies for somebody and you gave to the poor and you uh, posted only positive things on social media and you didn't yell at anybody who cut you off in traffic, you have a place in God's kingdom. If it wasn't such a great week <laughs> and you could flip that 180 on some of those things, then you still have an inheritance in God's kingdom. Your feelings don't determine the facts of who you are. God's sacrifice in Christ Jesus allows us to have an inheritance with the saints of light. We are part of the kingdom. Would you say it with me? We are part of the kingdom. That was said with timidity and reverence. <laughs> Let's say it a little more boldly. We are part of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for giving your life that we might be inheritors, co-inheritors with you of all that God has prepared for his church. And we want to exalt today your name. And we want to exalt in what you have done. And we want to worship and praise you. And we want to realize what is the height and breadth and depth of your love. And I pray today that you would open our understanding that we would do so. In the name of Jesus, the church said amen. There's a fascination with royalty. Uh, any ladies in here when you were young, did you ever play at being a princess? Anybody ever do that? Sheila said yes. Candace said no. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I ever played at being king, but uh, when we were playing as kids, I kind of want to be the boss and tell everybody what to do, and uh, that was kind of what I wanted to play uh, doing and everything. That didn't last very long because I wasn't very big. <laughs> but there's a fascination with the royalty. Um, I believe that this fascination that we have, House of Windsor and House of Sussex and all this kind of stuff and all this stuff people watch. I think it's a vestige of the human understanding of our relationship to God as a rightful king. Now, you could accept that or reject that. It's just my idea. There's nothing necessarily biblical there. But I'll say this. Celebrities abound and wealth is flaunted across the globe. But not everybody's fascinated with those celebrities in the same way they are with royalty. There's something different about our fascination with royalty. Um, there's not a person under the sound of my voice. I, I, I didn't bring 100 bucks today, but I'd, I'd put 100 bucks up here. And if you could tell me, I'd give you, this 100, I'd give you that $100 bill. If you could tell me when one of, one of Bill Gates' children was married, like just name the date and who they married. That's great. I'll give you a buck for that one. <laughs> He's saying pay up. <laughs> 
You don't remember when Bill Gates' kids were. I don't know the names of Bill Gates' kids. I can tell you Charles and Diana's kids' name. Harry and William. And when Harry wed Meghan, two billion, with a B, two billion people watched their wedding. One out of every four people on the planet was watching their phone or TV or somewhere. Can you imagine to watch a wedding? 29 million people watched it in the U.S. and it was on at 5 a.m. Central on a Saturday. You can't get those kind of ratings for the Super Bowl if you had it at 5 a.m. on Saturday. They watched Harry and Meghan wed because we're fascinated by royalty. But again, I think one of the reasons we're fascinated by royalty is that God is not a president. God is not a mayor. God is not um, a diplomat. God is a king. And we are not, um, you know, legislators. We're not um, burgers in the German sense of the word. We're not, you know, constituents. We are subjects in a royal kingdom. And I think that's why humans remain fascinated with royalty. Again, that's not provable. It's my idea. A kingdom requires four elements. It needs a king. It needs a people. It needs a place. And it needs a reign or rule. A king, a people, a place, and a rule. In God's kingdom, we have a king. We spend a lot of time talking about how wonderful and loving and benevolent he is, how wise and powerful he is. But I want to tell you something today. We could lift up God all day long and magnify him, but if we as his people don't embrace who we are, then his will and his kingdom will not come to pass. Rebecca, this king is important, but you as part of his people are important too because a kingdom requires not only a king, it requires a people. And a king lives for his people. We have such a kingdom that our king lived for us, he died for us, and now he lives again in splendor for us. But a kingdom also doesn't take just a king and a people, it takes a place. And I want to tell you something today. The place for God's kingdom in our lives is where we live. It's where we work. It's where our family speaks together and talks together. Arlington is a place where the kingdom of God should thrive. Memphis is a place where the kingdom of God should thrive. Mumford and Atoka and Rosemark and all those other communities y'all drive through to get here. God bless you, Brother Jim. That's a place for the kingdom of God to thrive. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, what we Christians call the Old Testament, we see God describe himself as a king of his people and the king of the whole earth. That tells me that wherever we are, God desires for his kingdom to be inaugurated. That's a powerful and important point. That wherever we are, God intends for his reign and his rule to come there. And he does it. Ready? Buckle your seatbelts. He does it through you and he does it through me. Think about the stories, you know, fairy tales or medieval times or history lessons that you learn. Just picture a king. He doesn't enact his rule by trouncing down off the throne every day and riding through every part of his kingdom and saying, oh, the king's here. You need to do this and be fair to people and be good to people. And, oh, those crops need harvesting and these people need food. The king extends his rule. How? 
through his ministers, through his people. And God has made all of us his people that are administering his reign in the earth. Now, this doesn't make us better than other people or uh, uh, more elevated than other people. No, it makes us the servants of God's people on this earth. It makes us the servants in the kingdom, but we have the power and the authority of representing his name. In the Hebrew Bible, it was understood by Israel that this kingdom was to be represented spiritually by the house of worship, the tabernacle at first, and then the temple. Politically, it was to be represented by the monarchy, the human king who was anointed by God to lead. David, Saul, Solomon, and a whole list of others. And the further you go, the worse it gets. They were human kings and they made human errors. And because the people made errors as well, the monarchy of Israel experienced twin disasters. There was a scandalous schism that divided the kingdom into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. God's people were never meant to be divided. You remember what we talked about when we studied the book of James? James says, why are there wars and fightings among you? Why are there battles and campaigns? Sheila, it is never the will of God for you and I to be on opposite sides of the fence for the duration of our lives. We may have disagreements, but we're not supposed to be divided. The people of God are entitled to be united under his kingship and his reign. I'll go further than that, and I'll make this statement. When you find citizens of the kingdom who are divided and do not value and love one another, I will tell you that it's because they've been thinking a lot more of their own royalty than his royalty. Does that make sense to you? Because if we're united under his royalty, then we see each other as valuable as he sees us. The kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by rival powers. First they were divided and then they were conquered. Can I say to you that if we remain united as a church, there's no force in hell that can defeat the kingdom of God in Arlington and what you're bringing to bear. When you pray for the kingdom of God to come in Arlington, it's going to happen. Willie, good things are going to happen in our city because of what God is doing in this church as long as we will stay united. But when they became divided, they were soon conquered. 700 years before Jesus was born, Israel fell to the Assyrians. And 600 years before Jesus was born, Judah fell to the Babylonians. The region of Canaan was then ruled in succession by the Medes, Persians, Greeks, Egyptians, and Romans. Five empires had their way in succession of these two that had conquered them. Seven in total, over 700 years of ruling people that God intended to bring his rule to earth. There's a powerful lesson here for you and me. When we don't put the Lord first in our lives, we will soon begin to fight and bicker among each other. And it leaves our lives wide open to be conquered by the enemy. And I'm not talking about Romans, and I'm not talking about Babylonians. I'm talking about things that God never intended to rule us. Addiction, lust, pornography, regret, condemnation, gossip, fear, anxiety, depression. Things that God never intended to rule over us can do that if we become divided and we don't gain the strength of God's people as He intended. Can you say amen? Because you're quiet and that's true. It is totally true that we're to be united as the people of God. For Israel, it wasn't just a political, a military, or cultural challenge. 
It was a theological catastrophe because, Jay, they saw themselves and the land as bound together in covenant with Yahweh, with the Lord. They knew that their idolatry had brought this devastation on them, not just shifting sands of Near Eastern diplomacy and the balance of power. And so God spoke again to his people. I, 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 I just want to say, even when we don't live up to what God asks us to do and who God asks us to be, it is amazing to me the mercy of God and how he comes to us time and again, not only as individuals, but corporately, and calls us to continually be who he wants us to be. If you've made mistakes in your life, welcome to the human race. But God is calling you again and again to be who you're supposed to be. God called to Israel through Malachi, and he said, Yahweh, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Ezekiel called to those people, and he said, Yahweh himself is going to come to be the shepherd of Israel. Isaiah called, and he said, there's going to be a highway in the wilderness. There's a, a servant that's going to come that's going to suffer, but he's going to redeem you from your sins. Zechariah called, and he said, Yahweh is going to come with all of his saints with him, all of these prophets proclaimed that the kingdom of God was coming. Everybody knew that the kingdom was coming, Jim, but nobody knew exactly how to bring it to pass. And there were various people in the time of Jesus that had various strategies for how to bring the kingdom of God into existence. The Pharisees thought that by ever stricter obedience to the Mosaic law, they could entice God to appear. Their idea was, we will obey the law to the letter, all 613 commandments, and when we get it just right, God will come as our king and deliver us when we do everything perfectly. Their idea was, we will get good, therefore we will get God. They had the, you ever heard that West Tennessee saying, the right stick but the wrong end? They had it almost right. Because, friends, when we get God, it's only then that we can get good. You'll never be righteous enough to bring God to bear in your life the way that He desires to. But if you bring God to bear in your life the way that He desires to, you will become righteous. We can't obey the rules enough to please God, but if we please God and God is pleased with us, we will wind up obeying the rules because He will empower us to do that. That was the Pharisees' answer. It was the wrong answer. The Essenes took the Pharisees' idea to the extreme. They thought this world is so hopeless and so lost, the only answer to it is we need to isolate ourselves, go off in the desert somewhere, and we'll fast and we'll pray and we'll make ourselves holy to God, but we'll never interact with anyone else. Sometimes we as Pentecostals are tempted to do this because we're very concerned about personal holiness, and we should be. But let me tell you, friend, holiness is not about isolating yourself from the world. It's about isolating the world from you in terms of it running your values and running your life, but we need to be engaged with people in order that they too can be saved. God didn't save us just to put us in a museum of sanctity and to tell everybody else, oh, look at me, I finally perfected my life. That's not what God desires of us. He desires for us to roll up our sleeves, as it were, to get our knees dirty in prayer, uh, and to, 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 to bake pies again for people, as I said jokingly earlier earlier this week, we, we, we do whatever we can to meet the needs of those around us in a godly way in order that we can demonstrate what holiness is. The Pharisees will we'll obey the rules and that'll bring the ruler. The Essenes said, 
literally, literally to Hades with the world. We're just going to serve God on our own. I could substitute that, but y'all would think it's a PG-13 sermon. You get what I'm saying. They just said, forget it all. The zealots had a different idea. They were the January 6th people. They were like, we're going to take it by force. I'll tell you what we'll do. Rome's not that strong out here. It may be strong in Italy, but, but here we can, we can do something about this. I'm going to get my sword and I'm going to get my shield and I'm going to plot and I'm going to blow up some aqueducts and I'm going to murder some generals and we'll show them who's boss. We'll bring the kingdom of God by engaging the world of politics and military might directly and this will lead to revolt and God will come to rule. There's a lot of people that are mixing up military might and nationalism with an idea of godliness today. And I want to encourage you as a church, and, and you be an informed citizen, and you vote, and, and you read your articles, and you do your things. But I'm going to tell you, after all of that, God's kingdom is not coming to earth through Washington, D.C. God's kingdom is not coming to earth through a Republican administration or a Democratic administration. And I mean no disrespect to either division. <laughs> but I said everything I needed to say right there because the best that humanity can do is, is second best, and it, it involves division. But when we bring the holiness of God to bear, when it's not tolerance but love that rules people, when it's not might and grabbing from the same pie, but when it's the abundance of God's grace that covers people in their motivations, that's different. Yes, I'm going to vote. Yes, I'm going to do what I can. And yes, I'm going to be engaged and involved. But the new Jerusalem is the hope for this world, not Washington or London or, you know, name any city or any political system. We need to be engaged, but engaged as God desires us. The Pharisees are going to follow the rules. The Essenes are going to say to Hades with it, the zealots are going to say, we're going to overthrow them. We're going to rule. And the Herodians and the Sadducees, <laughs> they were the jet setters. They were the elite of society. They were the, it's always been this way. It'll always be that way. And I'm going to get what's coming to me. And I'm going to make sure I'm okay. We got plenty, <laughs> plenty of those people around. And I'm not going to name any names or try to be disrespectful here. But there are plenty of people that are taking advantage of chaos. Amen. You can fill in the blanks with your person that you don't like or whatever, but there was plenty of that then, there's plenty of that now. There's always people that take advantage. And so you can get mad about it, and you can fire up Facebook about it, and you can say this and say that, but those kinds of people are always around power because that's the way humanity is. But when you find God involved with power, you find that people are lifted up instead of pressed down. You find that the kingdom of God advances and that people flourish and people thrive instead of being taken advantage of because rather than the cynical exercise of power, my God divests himself of power to serve those who are powerless. And I'm so thankful that there is a new kingdom that is being inaugurated. John the Baptist prophesied it. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Matthew 4 and 17, Jesus took up that charge and he said, I'm going to tell you right now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Soon, Jesus said, you're going to be operating under a different system of authority. 40 times, 50 times, 55 or so in the gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. There were three mighty strains that came to bear in Jesus' ministry. The liberation of captive Israel, the defeat of evil, and the return of Yahweh to his people. 
Israel would be liberated. Evil would be defeated. And Yahweh would return when the real king showed up. Don't forget, Mary, that in his worst moment, naked, thirsty, beaten to within an inch of his life, nailed on a tree of curse between two malefactors, even then, Scott, there was a sign above his head. And it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Let's test it today. Was he a king or was he not a king? Malachi, talk to me about it. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, tell me about this king that would liberate captives. Paul said he led captivity itself captive and gave gifts to men. My king is a real king. And he is a king of glory. And he's a king of honor. Yahweh's going to come. Matthew said, He's Emmanuel. That's what you call him because it is being interpreted God, Yahweh, is with us. When Mary knelt down her Palestinian head and kissed that baby with her Jewish lips, she was kissing the one who had framed the entire planets and the universe. God was with us. The prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 had been met and Emmanuel had come among God's people. He led captivity captive. And listen, was evil defeated? Turn one more chapter in Colossians from the text that we read in chapter 1 and you'll find in chapter 2 this text. He spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Every demon that had left heaven in rebellion was showed up openly at Calvary because the Bible says in verse 14 of chapter 2 that every one of my sins and every one of your sins was nailed to that cross. The greatest fear of humanity is that our failures and our faults and our mistakes and our sins and our wrongdoings will be discovered. And Jesus turned that entirely on its head because He laid out everything in an affidavit, in a legal form. Everything that you've ever done or will ever do that was wrong was nailed to His cross. But the wonderful thing about that, Sheila, was the only nails that were on that cross were four. Two were put through His wrist. One was put through his two feet and his blood flowed over those nails. And one was through the declaration of his authority as king. My sins have only one place to be displayed today and that is in the kingdom of God. And the blood of the king has flowed over my every shortcoming. It's flowed over my every weakness. It's flowed over my every mistake and it's flowed through every one of my sins. And I'm thankful to tell you today that because of that sacrifice, there has been a translation which has occurred. My citizenry is no longer of this world. My ownership is no longer because of my mother or my father or where I grew up or where I was, or was born or where I was bred. My ownership is in heaven today. My citizenship is in heaven today because I have been transferred out of one dominion of control into another. And I'm now under the control of the king. I'm in the kingship of God's own dear Son, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me today? There's been a great transition in the spirit world. We belong to another kingdom. Every one of you that has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. 
Every one of you that has received his Holy Spirit now has the spirit of truth and the spirit of holiness. You don't have to do like the Pharisees did in looking closer and closer and closer with your microscope to try to incrementally make yourself better. You can watch as the Spirit of God organically transforms you supernaturally into His likeness and into His image because it's working inside out instead of outside in. You don't have to be like the Essenes who said, I can do the kingdom of God as long as I never have to talk to anybody, as long as I never have to drive on 240, as long as I never have to deal with my idiot boss, and as long as I never have to, you know, deal with my wonderful spouse. No, it's not the answer. You're not going to vote your way into the kingdom of God, Sister Zealot, Mr. Zealot. Certainly not going to have some kind of revolution and people talking about civil war and we're going to bring in righteousness finally. No. You stack up your AK-47s or your Facebook accounts or whatever you think is going to change this world. Nothing will change this world but the power of Jesus Christ. There's been a translation Mary, you don't live in darkness anymore. But the translation doesn't stop it. There's a transformation that needs to happen. Paul said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you in three ways today. I want to challenge you. Where can you bring the righteousness of God this week? Where's the situation where there's wrong where you can bring righteousness? Where's the situation where there's sadness and anxiety where you can bring the joy of God this week? It may be a simple meal and thanking God for it. It may be texting somebody and say, I appreciate you, but that will bring joy, Jay. It'll be easy for you. Just switch a letter out. Bring the joy of the kingdom of Christ to somebody this week. And where is there chaos where you can bring peace? Where is there somebody that's hurting and confused where you can say, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you. It's simple. Maybe you don't have that opportunity. Maybe, maybe your boss, you know that she's in chaos. And maybe you don't get that opportunity verbally this week. Would you promise that you'll at least pray for that person this week? That you'll pray that the kingdom of God will come to them. God, we pray your kingdom will come. Righteousness, joy, and peace. It's, if we had 15 acres and $15 million and we could build a beautiful facility like Faith Arlington. It's, it's a gorgeous facility. If, we, if we'd started 100 years ago and we had Arlington United Methodist building, if we had that tradition, if we, if we could build a, a cathedral of some kind, those are wonderful things, but that's not so much what God is wanting us to build. I thank God for what we have here, but... This is not an achievement that God wants us to have. The, the achievement that God is desiring is that we build righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I, I'd love to preach to 500 instead of 15 today. That'd be great. But if we can reach 15 this week outside these doors, we will have brought the kingdom of God the way that He desires. We're, we're looking for grand things. We're, we're so much like those people in Jerusalem. We're looking for, for transformation we can see. I'll spoil next week's sermon. Kingdom of God, it's, it's like a little leaven you put in. You, you can't see it, but you come back and the bread was this tall and now it's this tall. Because when God gets involved, even when you can't see Kenneth, things happen. Things change. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you represent. 
most of all, we're thankful that you, you came and you died, that we might be part of your kingdom. I will confess before this assembled crowd today that I'm not worthy. I will acknowledge before this congregation that I've not earned your salvation. And yet, Lord, you gave yourself to translate me into your kingdom. I pray today that all of us that have been translated would so be transformed. And that by our spiritual translation, we could show a real transformation in those around us. That we would bring righteousness. Your righteousness, not ours. Ours is filthy rags. It's not worth anything. But your righteousness, that we could bring it to bear. Through prayer, through action. That we not only be image bearers, but we be gospel sharers. Those that are bringing your good news to those around us. Lord, let us bring joy. We don't want to be religious with a long face. We want to be righteous with a smile and and embrace for those who need you most. Let us bring righteousness. Let us bring joy. And then finally, God, let us bring your peace. We live in such a fractured society. Democrats and Republicans, women and men, aging ones and younger ones, politicians of all stripes and people on each sides of the vaccine debate and all different types of issues that face us today, God. We don't want to bring division. We want to bring your peace to every situation. Let your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, let your kingdom come. In the name of the Lord. Have you ever noticed how fascinated we are with royalty? It's not just the fame and wealth of princes and princesses that draw our attention. There are plenty of famous celebrities and rich people in the world. But it seems that there's a connection to something ancient, something hereditary, or maybe even something theological that causes us to pay attention to those who style themselves as royal. Because we're looking for something that may have a reality beyond even what they represent. In the Bible, God describes himself as a king. And we find that that kingship of God is demonstrated in sharp focus in the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. Through his ministry, the kingdom of God becomes inaugurated on and in earth. And hey, we get to be a part of it. Paul said, if we've entered into covenant with Christ, that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. And that isn't power or wealth or fame as this world tries to seek it. But rather, Paul said it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. If you've joined as a citizen of that kingdom, aren't you thankful? And if you haven't yet and you'd like to know how, this message would be a good place to start. Thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. Thank you.